before we get started with the show today, I want to tell you about an awesome new product, Plexiderm. Yeah. If you're a frequent listener, you know that uh, I've been using it. Yep. Uh, especially when I get up really early and I have those big bags under my eyes. Yep. Put a little bit of it under your eye. Yeah. And within five minutes, gone. bags are gone. Completely gone. Dark circles, gone. completely reduced. Yeah. It's, it's amazing stuff. So go to triplexiderm.com yep. and use my code SEXYLIBERAL for 50% off plus an additional $10 off. That, wow. You can't beat that. I that's mean, a, that's a deal. Exactly. Uh, that's right. 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This, is, this offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning SEXYLIBERAL. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com today and use SEXYLIBERAL at checkout. That's triplexiderm.com. Welcome to Amped Up with Proud Resistor. This is progressive activist Ryan Knight. And I'm Chris LaVoy of The Stephanie Miller Show. And we have a very special guest with us today. I can't wait. Our guest uh, today <laughs> is uh, Pam Keith. Pam is a civil rights attorney and a formal naval, naval officer and is the first African-American woman to run a qualified campaign for U.S. Senate in Florida. She is currently working on grassroots organizing in Florida to fix the constant underperforming of Democrats in Florida. Wow, that's important stuff. Which Pam. we really need right now. <laughs> yeah, Pam, we really need. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here with you guys. I'm such a huge fan, and uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like uh, starry-eyed right now. Oh, stop. <laughs> oh, we're, we're both fanboying and fangirling here. Ditto. So. Yeah. Well, look. Absolutely. We're standing. Exactly. Stand. Standing. No, look, I've been a, a fan of yours, Pam, and, and you, know, you ran an amazing campaign in 2018, and you're doing great uh, grassroots work on the ground in Florida where we need it most. Uh, so that's why I wanted to have you on the program today. But look, I just want to start off. You know, <clears throat> there... The, the entire country is talking about a sharp sh- sharpie gate and mm-hmm. and i'm you know here i am rolling my eyes because they're talking about a sharpie and we have a criminal in the white house yeah. right mm-hmm. i mean let's just cut to the chase donald trump mm-hmm. is a crook who obstructed justice and the entire gop is complicit for aiding and abetting him but this mm-hmm. moment is also about the democratic party and right mm-hmm. now speaker pelosi is playing politics when we need her to step up and defend the constitution of the united states some Democrats will argue that she is playing chess, mm-hmm. but maybe, just maybe, chess is the wrong game to be playing when there is a felon in the White House, kids in cages, and white supremacists terrorizing people of color. Yeah. I'll tell right. you one thing, if the, if the roles were reversed and a Democratic president did what Trump did, Republicans wouldn't be playing chess. Republicans, would, would. <laughs> they'd be impeaching. <laughs> yeah. And that right there is, is what's wrong with our party. We back down yes. from the fight. And when yes. you're in a crisis, the last thing you do is back down from the big fight. So, Pam, I, my question for you is, do you think that playing it safe and, and, and backing down from the fight and not impeaching Trump is the right tactic heading into the most important election in our history and an election that we have to win? Well, that's, you know, that's obviously um, I completely disagree with the attack that is being taken by the Democratic leadership, or at least the leadership of the House. But I want to make clear here that we have we have a real values proposition problem here. Mm. I mean, you use the word playing politics, um, but what we have is a situation where the people making these decisions are 100% insulated from the consequences of Trump's craziness. 
Mm. They're insulated from those consequences from their by their wealth, by their power, by their status. They're not the ones that are in the cages. They're right. not the ones that are getting shot on the street. They're not the ones who are uh, having their snap cut or their key, um, you know, Medicaid's, you know, uh, payments being cut. They're right. not the ones who are terrified. So they feel like um, this is a time to be uh, tactical, strategic, you know, weigh all options, not be hasty. Uh, but that is a luxury of the person that's not actually in the battle, right? right. Mm -hmm. That is the luxury of the person of the general that's back at headquarters trying to figure out what's going on. And, and quite frankly, it's also a luxury of a person who believes that anything that does go wrong can somehow be fixed at some later point, um, which is also what values, uh, uh, miscalculation. You know, if somebody does die on Trump's watch and God knows plenty of people have, there's no bringing that back. Right. Yeah, there's no fixing that. Yeah. Well, well um, and, and so, you know, you're right, Ryan, to your audience, I will simply say that, you know, I am hardwired in a, maybe an unusual way and that I am a, I am not your, can we all get along kind of Democrat. I'm a cage fighting MMA, mama said, <laughs> knock you out Democrat. Yeah. And that's, what, <laughs> that's, what, that's we what we need more of in our party. And, you know, one way you're you're nailing it, Pam. But one thing that just is so clear to me, and it's never been clear, is that we have a Republican Party whose loyalty is to Donald Trump. Absolutely. All well, we need. Why is. can't their loyalty is to Donald Trump? But why can't the all the Democratic Party has to do is be loyal to the Constitution, and and, and by being loyal to the Constitution, that means defending it from Trump's tyranny. And I feel like, look, I am a. In, in a general election, like I will do everything I can to get as many blue voters to the polls as possible. But right. there's this thing happening in our party where I feel yeah. like, you know, that the, the mindset is that, you know, Trump is so scary and Trump is so bad right. that it's put so that, that the Democrats are in fear. You know, right. I, I hear so many Democrats say things like, well, we can't impeach Trump. Uh, because if we do, we'll lose. Or, or, or right. they'll say, y'all just have to vote for Joe Biden in the primary or we'll lose. And right. this, this, is, this is the type of fear-based thinking and it's permeating the Democratic Party. And, it, and I think it plays right into the hands, into Trump's little authoritarian hands, right? <laughs> now is, little. Not, yeah, little now hands. is not the time for Democrats to be afraid. Now is the I, time I for, agree more. for Democrats to be brave. Ryan, you're you're 100% right, but I think I'm going to take a different tack of the analysis. There's sort of two things going on at the same time. On the one hand, you believe that people are loyal to Trump. Principally, people are loyal to their own power. Mm. I mean, you know, it's selfishness. Mm -hmm. And and when you look at GOP policy, everything begins and ends with either greed or selfishness. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that true. is the, sort of the alpha and the omega. That is sort of their DNA. But but the justifications on our side is this combination of loyalty to your own power um, and fear of losing that power. Mm. They are more afraid of losing the power they have than gaining additional power or uh, strength. Right. So they would rather just hang on to what they have. And that becomes the the driving factor and force in every analysis they have. How do I hold on to what I have? Because Democrats have lost so many times in circumstances where we should have won, where we felt like we did enough to win, um, that we've begun so, to think that we don't know enough about winning. Well, and it, so... You're hitting on a good point because one of the things is that, that I say often, you know, you talk about winning... There's there's a difference. It's like that sports metaphor. You know, there's a difference between playing to lose 
and mm-hmm. playing to win. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. right now, what I kind of see happening is it's like you got two sport teams and the Republicans are always on offense and the Democrats are always on defense. And when you're mm-hmm. always when a team is always on offense, it's it's, you know, the Republicans, it's like they're they're kicking goal. They're taking shot after shot at our goal. And Democrats are constantly on defense. And it's really hard to score a point when you're always playing defense. Right. It's hard exactly. to win that way. And, you know, letting Trump get away with obstructing justice you know, and, and running a safe candidate like Joe Biden, who doesn't energize our base, that's playing not to lose. Conversely, you know, impeaching Trump for obstructing justice and running a bold candidate like an Elizabeth Warren who energizes our base, that's what I would call playing to win. Right. I love that analogy, Brian. And one of the things that I used to say on the campaign trail is that we need to understand in a football analogy, you know, the Democrats have been failing because we we've decided we're a running team and the the Republican Party has figured that out. Um, And so their defense is always against the run. Mm. And 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 our Democratic leadership and our Democratic Party structures have decided that we're only going to have uh, running backs because uh, we only have equipment for running backs. and We're used to running backs and we know where to find running backs. And so we're just going to have running backs. And what has happened is that the, the Republicans have gotten so good at stopping the run that all we do is run on first, run on second down, run on third down. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And yet here we are, this incredibly brilliant, diverse, richly entertaining party with these amazing wide receivers and tight ends and these amazing athletes that we won't even let on the field right. because they're not running backs. But well, and I tell I, you something, if we put that wide receiver on the field and throw the ball, maybe we'll score some touchdowns. Well, exactly. <laughs> but here's and here's the other thing. It's like the American people are desperate for leadership right now. Amen. You know, voters are voters are looking for courage and moral clarity. They're, they're not yes. looking for passivity and political cowardice. And it's and, yes. and honestly, what it seems like to me is that Elizabeth Warren is the only one who's gotten the memo. Right. And I couldn't agree with you more. I could not agree with you more, especially when you talk about that concept of leadership, which is such because there's a difference between being a a Democratic leader and a leader of Democrats. We have lots of Democratic leaders, but they don't see us, the voters, as their soldiers. Right. They don't try to lead us. They don't task us with anything. You know, they don't say, here's the plan. Let's go. Right. They're not in a fight with us. Yeah, they see us as an inconvenient thing to control and wrangle to their ends. Well, yes, and I also think that look, the Republican Party. We know how bad and corrupt they are, and how bad their policies are. I mean, they have they're basically anti health care, they're anti science, and they're pro corruption. But just because the the Republican Party is so bad, it doesn't mean that we have to settle for status quo within our own party. And I feel like. You know, this moment is an opportunity for, for the Democratic Party to be the party that takes bold action on climate change, the party that fights for Medicare for all, you know, the, the, the party that is, that is anti-corruption and that impeaches the most lawless president in history. Like, this is our moment. But I feel like, and the tide is turning against Trump, but I, I feel like we're just, we don't have the, you know, Speaker Pelosi doesn't want to land that knockout punch. And I feel like to beat someone like Trump, we need fighters, right? We need, like, yes. like you said, you're a street fighter. And, and you know, when, when uh, that's where I get frustrated. It's not that I, you know, some people, they get mad at me or they'll say, like, 
you know, why are you trying to help the Republicans? And I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like the Republican Party is the worst, is the most corrupt party in history. I'm trying to make the Democratic Party better. I'm trying to make it so we don't have to keep losing to this terrible party. Right. Well, you know, the thing is, it's not a question of whether you fight well. It's a question of whether you fight hard. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So you can you can have all the moral righteous indignation. You can have all the, the, the beat on the right history. But if you're not fighting hard, you're going to lose. Yeah. The, you know, you can fight really, really hard for a bad proposition. And that proposition is going to prevail. Right. Because it's in the strength of your fight, not the strength of your mm-hmm. conviction. Right. Right. And so here we are. We are facing the, as you said, Ryan, the most lawless, the most immoral, the most corrupt, the most racist, the most bigoted and homophobic, the most plundering, the most self-centered, the most idiotic, the most morally and mentally decomposing in front of our eyes. And, And in that context, we have people who are afraid to throw any kind of punch. Yeah. Let alone a knockout punch. Yeah. Because they keep thinking that it's their job to keep the team together. That really their job is to convince the other side to see things our way. And they have not bought into the concept that the other side has to be defeated. Right. They just haven't gotten there yet. They don't yeah. believe that we need to defeat something. Right. They And they keep trying to boil it down to the smallest little crucible. Well, it's Trump. It's Trump and Pence. It's Trump, Pence, and the GOP leadership. It's Trump, Pence, the GOP leadership, and a few other people. No. It's all of it. Yeah. And we have to have the attitude that we will crush it first and negotiate with it later. Absolutely. And that well, is not a concept that the Democrats have got their head around. Well, and I also think it's like the – look, it's it's – you know, some people think that it's just about beating Trump in 2020. And, and I, and I would disagree, you know, if, if being anti-Trump was enough, I don't think Trump would have gotten as far as he's gotten. Right. I don't think he would have won in 2016. The Democrats have to have a message. And that's where I mean, it's like, we don't just have to beat Trump. We have to bring real change to America because there's real problems here, right? We've got a climate crisis bearing down upon us. We've, we've got a gun violence crisis. We, we've got a cost of health care crisis, an economic inequality crisis, a, a white supremacy crisis. Yeah. You know, and so when you look at the problems we have, now is an opportunity for Democrats to be on the side of good and to be on the side of being the problem solvers because we know that the Republicans aren't solving any of these problems. So let's kind of shift gears and talk about the 2020 race um, because, you know, we just had that climate, the, the climate debate on CNN. Yeah. And what's so interesting to me is that Again, kind of going back to this fear thing, you know, there's some Democrats who it's like, don't tell the truth about Joe Biden or you're bashing him or you're bashing our party. And it's like, no, debate is a cornerstone of democracy. Like this is a primary. Yes, we vote blue no matter who in the general election. But in the primary election, we need to elect our best fighter, our best candidate to take on Trump. And when I looked at Joe Biden, when you look at Joe Biden, he went to this climate debate. And then literally today, the next day, he went to a fundraiser that that was hosted by the co-founder of a fossil fuel company. And it's like I, some Democrats might be OK with that. But I I don't think the path to beating Trump is to settle and is to lower our standards. I think the path to beating Trump is being who we are and fighting for our liberal values. And, and then you look at Elizabeth Warren on that stage, you know, on the climate debate, and she's flat out calling out the fossil fuel companies and she's calling out the corruption, you know, and she's, she's painting a clear line. She's like, unless we fight the corruption in Washington, where these fossil fuel companies hire armies of lobbyists, you know, 
to control our democracy, it's going to be more of the same. Nothing's going to change. And it's like, that's the fighting spirit we need to not only beat Trump, but to bring real change to our system. I, I, you're 100% right, Ryan. But the issue is we're, we're still missing what the fundamental problem is. The fundamental problem is greed. Yes. Right? Yes. Our climate problem is a greed problem. Yep. Our homophobia problem is a greed problem. Our racism problem is a greed problem. All of these problems are functionally greed and selfishness. That's where it all begins. Our gun problem is a selfishness problem. I need to feel powerful and I don't care how much danger I put you in to feel that way. Right. 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 That is all it is. It, and so fundamentally, what Biden is bringing to the conversation is look, I can preside in a way that's not going to destabilize your greed or your selfishness, mm. right? I'm going to, because if you're doing well in this game, right, if you're influential, if you've got really a lot of resources, if, or you just like it the way it is, right. you know, you fear You're content change, with the then, status quo. Exactly. Then Joe Biden is saying, look, I can put a little patina of compassion over your greed, <laughs> I can put a little, I can make, I can package your selfishness to make it look perfectly socially acceptable. Oh my God, that's so uh, well said. Right? And so, so vote for me. Yeah. Uh, and we'll just go back to the way things were, where, you know, the, the rich were still rich and the poor were still poor, but we weren't assholes about it. Right. And, and we rich. won't tackle all of our, all of our right. systemic problems. Right. When, when what Elizabeth is talking about is to say, you know, we set up a system that screws women. We yep. need to change that system. We set up a system that screws immigrants and poor people. We need to change that system. We've got a system where the interests of the corporations for short-term profit trump the interests of the people for long-term survival, and that's asked backward, and I'm going to change that. Yes. Well, hello, duh, but can you understand the degree to which that is terrifying to those who not only have built their personal wealth um, and their power through the system as it is, but also their sense of psychological superiority to everybody else? Yep. Yeah, I know. And, and I mean, when you hear Elizabeth kind of talk about that big structural change, you know, that the Democratic Party needs to be the party of big structural change. I mean, th this is why. This is why right here. And, and I think that when you exactly. have a system that's so corrupt, that's why Trump, that's why Trump won in 2016. You know, a lot of people miss this. Well, yes, there was the Russia component. Yes, there was the racism component. Yes, there was the misogyny component. But there was also something else. And that's that our system is broken and it's not working for working people. And until we start to attack those, these kind of systemic problems head on so that a working family can, can get ahead in America... That, that there's going to be people who, who can be controlled by fear, you know, and right. that's what Trump is doing. He's controlling our entire country with fear. And all I'm yeah. saying the, the Republican is that Party has been famous for doing for that doing throughout, that. The, throughout at least the past few decades. That. And all I'm yeah. saying is that we're not going to beat fear with, with being fearful in the Democratic Party. We're going to beat it by being hopeful and courageous, right? I I agree. And so and, when I look at Biden's... Be, yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. So, no, I'm you, sorry. I no, please. <laughs> but we also... I mean, there's... You're 100% right. Um, but first of all, we, we don't do a particularly good job as Democrats of, of severing the link between mm. I can barely make my rent or my you know my mortgage is a coal miner and it's the black people who, who have taken our jobs. Like, we never have done a particularly good reason, a, a job of decoupling... Right. Um, 
the their personal well-being from the racism and the misogyny and and the and bigotry that that the Republicans wield to encourage poor people to vote for a rich person's agenda. Right. Um, we've never been particularly good at that. Uh, but but you're one hundred percent right. Is that we also haven't been all that great at at giving people a vision of how systemic change could work in their lives. I mean, right. a perfect example of that was the health care debate mm. where, uh, you know, with, where, where the questions were like, you're going to raise people's taxes and, you know, <laughs> people can't have their private insurance. And I'm sitting there screaming at the TV going, wait a minute, anybody in love with a $6,000 deductible? Right. What the hell are you talking about? Right. Anybody dying that for co-pays and, and open enrollment right. and all of that nonsense? Right. It's just that we don't have a vision of an alternative. This is what we no. Right. And we would much rather have what we have than nothing. Right. But that's but nobody on that stage took that opportunity to paint a different vision. Yeah. Right. A vision of an America where you have health care coverage from the day that you're born to the day that you die. And the amount that you end up paying is based on what you earn at different stages of your life. Yep. Well, you know, it's it's what and I'm it's portable and it's yours forever. Yes. Well, what I'm hearing you saying and what I can feel, too, is it's like we as the American people have gotten so used to, to the rigged system and to the corruption and to the way the game is played that we're so jaded that we can't even comprehend a system that's not that way, right? We can't comprehend a better system, you know? And I, and, but, you know, when you watch Warren on the campaign trail, I think she perfectly lines up that, that you know, look, I, what I see the choice in the, the 2020 Democratic primary is, does the Democrats, do we want to be the party of incremental change and status quo politics, or do we want to be the party of big structural change? Do we want to be the party that is the party of the people through and through? That is going to, you know what I mean? That's the debate. And then what's going to defeat Trump? Is a, a candidate who's fighting for status quo politics going to defeat Trump? Or is a candidate with a big vision and a big message of structural change going to beat Trump? And I would say that we need a big, bold message to beat Trump, not status quo politics. I would agree with you, but I also think that, you know, we need to be a little bit patient or at least tolerant of the fact that um, the older generation uh, of which I, quite frankly, I'm a part, I'm 50, so I consider myself the older generation, but certainly the bottom end, (laughs) the bottom end that older generation, I will say that there's two things going on. One, they they have a tremendous amount of nostalgia for the time that they grew up in, right? right? Number two, they believe that they built an incredible country that's to be proud of and worthy of praise and fabulous and the greatest country on the planet and so on and so forth. And I served in the military. I, I love this country to my marrow. I'm deeply patriotic, but that doesn't make me delusional about what it really is. Right. Um, but but thank you for so your service, by Joe the way. Hark- <laughs> You're welcome. But Joe kind of harkens back to that notion of validating the America that they built and they wanted. Right. Um, and Elizabeth is saying, well, you know, we're glad that you built that in America, but we see an even better America on the horizon. Yes. And we're working and rowing in the direction of that even better America. And so it's a different message, but it's also a different audience to a certain extent. Yep. Younger people yep. um, who have have been raised with equality and justice and and actually equality as a norm are now you know willing to look under that rock for reparations and for true uh, equality and lgbtqia etc issues um, they come from a very different spot so they're not satisfied with where grandpa lives grandpa is and so 
I, you know, I do think that there's kind of a different audience. I will tell you, as a grassroots organizer, as a person who literally goes out and knocks doors and knocks people on the ground, I relish the idea of trying to get young people to vote for Joe a whole lot less than the idea of getting old people to vote for Elizabeth. Yes. <laughs> the old people <laughs> will actually do what they think is their duty. Young people, mm, I don't know. Well, and that's it's hard the, to shame young person into doing something. Well, and you're hitting, they'll just look at you and roll their eyes. Totally, you're hitting the nail on the head. I mean, one thing that I I, I constantly am trying to tell people about is we're going through also a, a generational shift in America, and not just in the Democratic Party, but just in America. Uh, in 2020, 37 percent. So we're talking about almost 40 percent of the electorate will be millennial and Generation Z voters. And, and let me tell you something. They're not energized by Joe Biden. You know, when you look at the polling, he's polling in single digits. He polls very well with people over 50. But people under 50, he's, mm-hmm. he's like the fifth or sixth choice. And, you know, whereas right. like Elizabeth Warren, she's the second choice of people that are over 50. And she's the first or second. She goes back and forth with Bernie uh, for people that are under 50. And, and why I think it's so important is that we need to have a candidate that can appeal to all generations, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and the other thing is, you know, Trump, Trump in 2016, he was a nostalgia candidate, right? It wasn't, his campaign was never about let's make America great again. It was let's take America back to how it was before, you know, mm-hmm. when we could treat people of color like crap, when we could treat LGBTQ people like crap, and when we mm-hmm. could treat women like crap. I mean, that's literally what Trump's entire campaign is. And mm-hmm. Joe Biden obviously isn't that, isn't that to that degree but joe biden's campaign is definitely a nostalgia campaign as well where you know kind of kind of just keeping things the way they are and and no big real change even though we got a climate crisis bearing down on us and we got gun violence crisis and we got white neo-nazis marching in the street we don't need any real big change in america and i just think that that is such a a a lazy argument when if we're going to go up against someone like trump who's this nostalgia take us back to the past candidate we need a candidate who's going to take us to the future. You know, we right. need a candidate who's speaking to, to, to ways to make their country better, like you just said. And I just right. think if we, can, if we can galvanize behind that candidate, that we, cannot, we can't just have a blue wave in 2020. We can have a blue tsunami where we take right. the House, take, keep, keep the House, take the Senate, and win the White House. That's how we do it, by energizing young people to vote, because old people are already going to go vote. Right. Well, I will. I will say two things that I think need to be said. Number one, Joe was Joe was hearkening to a time of civil politics, but Trump's mm. been a politician for a very, very long time. Right. And he wants to go back to that time where he could work with Republicans across the aisle to do little things. And I. But does that party exist anymore? Like the the exactly. Republicans don't want to work with us. They don't want to compromise. Situationally aware, that party no longer exists. Right. Right. That 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 group of people that you could negotiate with no longer exists. They are in a knockdown, drag out mode. It's going to be our way. Period. So yes. if that's the new reality, then we need a new Democratic Party too. Thank like you. the new Democrats need to be. Mama said, "Knock you out." <laughs> and if you want to play, let's go. And hell no, I'm not playing. You know, incrementally when you are trying to cut me off at the knees, when you are blowing up the Constitution, when you right. are blowing up the rule of law, the hell are you talking about? I'm going to crush you. <laughs> yes. yes. And the story. You're done. There, I don't even want to hear your opinion. I don't care. 
I don't really care if you want to keep your AR-15 and have 15 of them around you so that you can take on your government. Your AR-15s are going to take on a Black Hawk helicopter, are they? (laughs) So, no, you don't get to make me unsafe because you want to feel safe. That's not how we're going to play this game. If I have to crush you, I will. The good news for you is that even though I will crush you, I'm benevolent enough to reach back and pick you up later. And get you health care. And and get you health care. Yeah. (laughs) No, exactly. Well, I think you're nailing it, too. It's like... But here's the other thing. The Republican Party has gone so far to the right. I mean, they are like a quasi-fascist party right now. I mean, when you have a white supremacist in the Oval Office and kids in cages, I mean, they're all the way to the right. And, and, and what we got in the Democratic Party, you know, the, this narrative on, on the media that you'll hear on CNN or MSNBC that the Democrats are, are going too far left, it is a bunch of bullshit. Like that is, that is the biggest lie because right now the, the majority of the democratic party is still pretty moderate. Mm-hmm. And although we have our, you know, thank gosh, we've got the AOCs of the world, uh, you know, and Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar and, and Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, you know, we're starting to see a progressive kind of reawakening in our politics. Uh, the majority of our party is still pretty moderate, but here's one thing and, and you're kind of, we're just hitting on it is it's like when there are kids in cages, like where's the middle anymore that there isn't really a middle left you know it's Mm-mm. like what do you want a moderate amount of racism do you want a moderate exactly. do you want a moderate amount of gun violence they're not racist right? exactly <laughs> do you want to do you want a moderate amount of climate change bearing down upon you it's like i just think it's time now for us to stop running away from who we are we can right. you know we we need to get back to the progressive roots of our party you know fdr you know right. a new deal that that's the Democratic Party hasn't always been this moderate. And I would argue well, that we've been dragged right over the last 40 years. So it's not will, that, that we're going too far left. It's that we need to get back to the left. But but understand, Ryan, there's kind of a couple things going on. First of all, we need to stop talking about right, left and start talking about right, wrong. Yes. Right. That, so, so that's part of the problem. Part of the other problem is that our media is institutionalized in a way that wants to preserve status quo. Mm. And, 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 and another part of the problem is that we allow the other side to frame us so much, yes. right? Because we don't want to be the baddies and calling them what they really are, right? So it's considered outre to say that you're caging babies and it's Holocaust-like because it is. Right. But it, we're supposed to be, oh, we're radical to say that. No, you're radical to do it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. But that's, again, always starting from the premise that we are the aggressed upon and not the aggressor. Right. That's like that's a mentality of the person who's always on defense, who's yes. always punched back, who's never the bold, assertive, you know, I'm coming for you. Let's go kind of person. Right. And, and voters that, want voters like strength. Right. They like strength. They like they strength. strength. They don't like they passiveness. Yes. They want to win. Well, and here we have Nancy Pelosi who who telegraphs by word and deed that we must always be afraid, that we're always got to be cautious and yep. fearful and afraid yep. and that what happens if they don't like this and what happens if they don't like that? The Republicans don't ever do that. As a candidate, Ryan, I was asked over and over again, how was I going to reach out across the aisle and how was I going to work with Republicans? I guarantee you. That the Republican in that district, Brian Mast, was never asked what he would do to reach across the aisle and work with Democrats. Thank you. Right. Thank never. you. Because that is the way we framed our politics mm-hmm. from get go. Yes. And I walked out. So, so again, it's us. It's uh, it's uh, the problem is not the GOP. The GOP really can't help what it is right. because because it has been 
uh, it has devolved into this cult of personality that cannot admit that it's tied itself to um, a bona fide psychopath, yeah. right? So they so they're they're not a thing anymore, yeah. right? To us, it's a question of us looking within our party and saying, "Who the heck are we?" Yeah. The first things we are is we're chicken shits. Let's be honest about it. <laughs> <laughs> No, we're for real. Chicken shits. Well, we've got to stop bringing a butter knife to a gunfight. I mean, we've been I doing agree. it for so long. I think the other thing you're hitting on is when you talk about framing, how we let the Republicans kind of frame every debate and, and the mainstream media, you know, continues with the Republican talking points. You know, one thing I love about Elizabeth Warren is that, you know, and, and, I, and I keep trying to explain this to people. There's some people in our party who think that her bold policies are a weakness no, no, no. Make no mistake. Elizabeth Warren's bold policies are a strength, right? Because Elizabeth Warren knows that it's right to take bold action on climate change and it's right to fight for Medicare for all. So when, when you know, there was a, in the climate debate a few days ago, the, you know, the moderator, I think it was Chris Cuomo, he asked her, he's like, well, what are you going to do on the debate stage when Trump come, if Trump comes at you and he says, oh, the Green New Deal, it's just a dream. It's just a fantasy. <laughs> and without skipping a beat, Elizabeth Warren goes, well, I'd turn to Trump and say, where you are on climate change is a nightmare. Yep. You know, and yep. that right there is what she does. While you come at Elizabeth Warren and you think you're going to put her on defense, she turns it around and she puts the Republicans and she puts Trump on defense, right? She counterattacks. She doesn't back down because she knows that, look, at the end of the day, moving left means universal health care. At the yep. end of the day, moving left means saving our planet. Right. Mm -hmm. Moving right. Also, moving right means emboldening neo-Nazis and putting babies in cages. Mm -hmm. So it's like, right. what do you want, America? Do you want to move right or do you want to move left? It's, it's pretty think, clear. Right. And it's not even about moving left or right. It's about moving right or wrong. Right. Right it's, or it's wrong. It's about move, moving, move right. Move to the right. Be right. Be decent. Yeah. Be right. And, and it all, like I said, it keeps coming back to this theme. Everything that we're talking about starts and stops with empathy. Yes. It's, I want you to have a good life. I want you to have everything I have and then some. I want you to never suffer. I want you to be treated equally under the law. I want you to make the most of your gifts and talents. I want good for you. The GOP way of thinking is, I need more for me. Yes. It starts and stops with greed yes. and selfishness. Yes. And so that is, you know, to the, to the extent that Marianne Williams was kind of you know, uh, made a joke because she was talking about love. I, I want to say that there's nothing wrong with starting from a position of love, love of your fellow neighbor, love of the planet, love of creation, love of each other. There's nothing wrong with embracing that and saying it is because I'm hardwired to love you that I am always going to push policy that makes life better for you. Yes. Period. Yes. And the other guy is pushing policy that makes life suck for you because the only thing he cares about is how good it is for himself. And that, so it, it is a choice between those two worldviews. It is not a choice between left and right. It's not a choice between Democratic and Republican. It's a choice between decent and asshole. That's the <laughs> wow. We yeah. need that on, on a bumper sticker. Yeah, it is. It's it a is choice a choice between decent, decent and, and asshole. asshole. Yes. Yep. So if you want decent, vote Democrat <laughs> in 2020. Exactly. No, yeah. it's true. And but the, the here's the other idea is that we can't we can't allow the fear to permeate through our party. You know, because that you know this idea that we should all just you know oh, you know we can't impeach Trump or we'll lose or we have to all get behind Joe Biden in the primary or we'll lose like we can't come from a place of fear. 
you know, that's not going to beat Trump. Like, you know, like we were talking about earlier, we, we need to come from a place of of these are our liberal values. We're going to fight for them. We don't have because for years and years we've compromised our liberal values to win. And guess what? It's not really a win because the Republicans right. just keep taking more and more power. Like right. this and is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for us to finally not back down. And then what happens is, is that if we can put our bold agenda in place, then the Republicans will come to us and then they'll want to work with us. But if we just keep going, you know, like Joe Biden says, oh, you know, when Trump's gone, the Republicans are going to have an epiphany and they're going to want to work with us. If we keep with that same passive mindset that the the Democrats are going to keep compromising with the Republicans and the Republicans are going to keep taking everything they want and giving us nothing. You know, and we've got to squash that. Yes. Well, Ryan, you know, the the, the mantra of the Democratic Party for the longest time has been, why go for a win when a tie will do? Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) That is so true. Yeah. Oh. Right. And, and, and they actually, there are a lot of people and people that I like and respect who honestly believe that a compromise is better because yeah. everybody's happy. Well, or some people who think that, that. who think that we need to be Republican light to beat Republican. No, but we don't. But this is the but thing, like we don't, and here's the last, here's what drives me nuts is right now, Trump and the Republican party are doing everything they can to drive and turn out their base, right? The Republican right. party strictly plays base politics. So yes. while, while Trump is doing everything he can to energize his base, we've got Joe Biden who's doing everything he can to energize the center. Okay, right. uh, let's, let's think about that for a second. 2020, when we are in the most polarized political climate in our history, when there are very few undecided voters left, and you've got the Republicans who are getting all their base to the polls and 100% energizing their base, and then you've got Joe Biden who wants to energize the center, uh, what about the entire left? What about the entire Democratic base that we have to energize? And right. so I just well, think they take that, it for granted. Right, they take, they take it, for, it granted. for granted, and they, they they'll scream at us, "Vote blue, no matter who." Like, vote blue, no matter who. Great, I agree. But we got to give people a reason to show up and vote on election day. And, well, right, and, and, and when you got a candidate who's just energizing centrists, like that's not going to energize a lot of people in our party. And we got to stop playing it that way. We can win and also win. By, by not compromising our liberal values. I don't know why we started this whole thing where we have to be centrist to win. Yes, you the do. The Republicans know. don't yes, do that. You do. Ryan, Ryan, I'm going to call you out. You Uh-oh. absolutely I love know. it. Call me, <laughs> you, know, you know why? Because the money. Right. The money that pours into our party. I mean, yes, right. the, the Republican it's Party true. has gone off the deep end. But guess where those, those, that, you know, those sort of center Republicans are looking for a new home? They're looking for a new home in the Democratic Party, but they can only be in a home that they occupy and control. They're not trying to come to our party and play by our rules. You're right. They're coming to our party to try to reset the rules to suit them, which is exactly what they do everywhere they go. Yeah. Right. So yeah, the big the the big money donors. I mean, I've very I've met very there's very few billionaires who are like super progressive. Right. The big money sits in the center politically. Right. And so it does because the center politically has been where legislation has been created to advantage their enterprises. I mean, right. that's really where it all comes from. Right. And so at the end of the day, that is why we are where we are. Yes. I told people four or five years ago when I first got into the political game is to say, guys, you know, you got to be prepared for our Democratic Party to lurch to the right 
to absorb all of these dollars that are going to be out there from people who are turned off by the GOP but don't want to embrace a truly, uh, you know, little people agenda right. um, that used to be the Democratic Party. And so you're going to get this sort of reconstruction of the Democrats into what was the Republican Party of the 1980s. Yeah, you're going to absolutely but, get that, and that is exactly what we're seeing. Well, but I also think we're seeing this this great awakening of progressivism in our party. Right. And we yeah. saw a lot of that in the midterms in 2018. And we're seeing a lot of people get elected by purely. I mean, look, Elizabeth Warren is, is only taking grassroots donations. I mean, it, it, I mean, literally, she could change the game if she wins the nomination by not by swearing off all big money fundraisers. I mean, so, yes, while a lot of big money still controls the game, we are seeing some of these breakthroughs where where we've got more grassroots energy in our party than we've ever had before. And. The, the Republican Party doesn't have any of that grassroots energy. The problem I see is that the de- some of our Democratic leaders don't want to tap into this amazing progressive grassroots energy, right? It's like we're still scared. Like, no, you know, it's like we use those turnout models from 10 and 20 years ago that says only boomer, baby boomers vote. You know, when we know in 2020, almost 40% of the electorate is going to be millennials and Generation Z voters. So it's I just think we're kind of seeing a sh- uh, like a generational shift in our party. And, and, and it's like, look, I think that we have a real opportunity to win big in 2020. I just think we need there's 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 two schools of thought. We do it with more of a, a Biden type candidate who's going to play it safe or we do it with a candidate like Warren who's going to bring big structural change to our party and to our country. And, and I'm of the of the ad that we need big change. It's time. Right. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you and I are, uh, you know, yeah, who, twins who are from, you the, supporting, from a different mother. By the <laughs> way, who did you, are you, did you endorse yet in the in the race? I don't, I don't endorse because I I think the entire concept of endorsement is kind of wonky. I mean, I'm all in for Elizabeth Warren and have made no no bones Woo-hoo! about it. Um, I believe that she is by far the most talented intellectually. She has the most relatable backstory. She has the fewest uh, gaps and downsides. Um, she has the least to apologize for. Uh, and so for me, but, but also I just, I respect brilliance. And mm. one of the greatest things that I see in her is the ability to tell a story around any topic. She can make any topic accessible to people mm. by breaking it down into a narrative that they totally understand. And so she empowers people by making them smarter as they sit there listening to her. Mm. And that to me, and she also has that, that last X factor, which is She's a bit of a motivational speaker too. Yeah, you know, you gotta you gotta be uh, get get have a little bit of that motivational energy behind you. Yep. This is come on, y'all, let's go. Yeah, and so those are the reasons that she totally appeals to me. Um, she appeals to me as a person who's been on the campaign trail myself, and I know what kind of energy she's putting into this. Yep. Uh, she appeals to me in terms of her values and what grounds her, that she never has to be told what's a morally right and morally sound position, yep. that it always comes instinctually to her. Right. And to me, that is so, so important because as president, she's going to be confronted with some really, really difficult choices. And yep. I just know she's going to make the choice that's best for us, not best for her or best for the party. Yep. And that to me is just so, so important. Um, and I also know that she's fearless. Like she is, go- she is she not is. going to be she is intimidated. Fearless. Yep. 
She's, she's a fighter. Be intimidated. She's a fighter. And I, so all of that works for me. I don't need somebody to come across like Barack Obama, but I do need somebody to come across with the kind of energy and the kind of passion that makes me believe that they truly want to do this. Yes. Right. I get the sense that Joe well is said. doing this. Uh, because he's supposed to, he was supposed to at some point, it, it's a natural progression. We need somebody who can save us from the cray cray and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like all of these other reasons, but I don't but see that he has a true love. We don't need, issues you know, it's so and, interesting and what you just say like about save us just real quick is we don't need anyone that's going to save us because obviously a hero hasn't showed up yet. What we need is someone who's going to empower us. Right. Us. So that we can be yes, our own right. leaders. Right. And that's what Warren's campaign is all about. You know, when you, when you listen to Biden, you know, he, he keeps saying, you know, I'm the only one I, I can beat Trump and because the polls say so, essentially. But when you look at Warren, she says, I'll beat Trump because I'm going to build a grassroots movement of millions of, uh, of right. millions of Americans. Right. Who want big structural change in our country. And, you know, right. this this whole the media is obsessed with this idea of electability, you know, and, right. and what's interesting is no one can really define it. But but hear me out here. M- maybe just maybe the most electable candidate is the one who's running the best campaign. And maybe yeah. the most electable candidate is the one who's drawing the biggest crowds. And maybe yeah. the most electable candidate is the one who's winning the debates. You know, right. maybe the one that's the most electable candidate is the one who's energizing the voters, right? And right. if that's the criteria, the most electable candidate is Elizabeth Warren, not Joe I, Biden. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And you know what? It's so funny because my campaign slogan in 2018 was "It's up to us." Yes. And I don't know great, if you're if great I, slogan, right, Pam. Right. And, <laughs> and and the reason that I wasn't able to get as many votes as I did, and I, and I want your uh, listeners to understand that I was in the race for about four or five months, and the party decided to helicopter in a millionaires from New York down Uh-oh. to Florida um, because she came from a very wealthy family and just loaded up the entire machinery behind her, and That's I was. Told that I needed to, I was told that I needed to pull out and that I, that I was going to embarrass myself. And of course, um, that did not happen. I stayed in it and I got, you know, 24,000 votes in a, in a primary in Florida 18. Now, that, that may not sound like a lot, but Donna Shalala is sitting in Congress today and she got 14,000 votes. Wow. In the primary. So, so, so what I'm saying is that I outperformed everybody in the state of Florida who is not already in Congress Yep. in terms of the number of votes that I got. And I was 100% grassroots self, you know, little groups of people getting together, deciding they loved what I had to say. They loved my policy positions and they just went out and did whatever they thought needed to be done. Right. It was not. And you ran a campaign that was people powered, right? Absolutely. Not powered powered. by PACs. And it was, Nope, nope. The only PACs that came to my uh, support were PACs like Vote, Vet, uh, Vote Vets, which is a progressive veterans yep. organization, or uh, a collective PAC, which is for African-American candidates. But those give $5,000. Like, yep. they don't give $500,000. Like, yep. that's not, I had none of that. I didn't have an individual PAC of any kind. Like, this was all people-powered. And I harnessed what people wanted to do rather than telling them what to do. Yes. Right. I, it was about coordination and cooperation, not control. And that is the model that I'm bringing to this project that I have in Florida, which is about values based organizing, meaning that I'm not organizing on behalf of the party or any candidate. I'm organizing around ideas and values and, and at the point of inflection. So we're taking people to the emergency room to talk about gun violence. 
kids, mm. right? We're taking people to the 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 um, jails and detention centers to talk about criminal justice reform, right? Those we want to go to the point of inflection where policies actually makes a difference in people's lives, right? And then be present, right? Physically present there with people who are going through whatever they're going through, so that they see not just our vision, but how our vision means that, that it's that our vision is tied to genuine empathy about for them as people right. because we have a lot of great policies that we debate in our democratic clubs and caucuses but let me tell you something Is nobody going to democratic clubs and caucuses <laughs> like like uh, wait, know, we need more people too it's like 40 people uh. like 40 people out of forty thousand registered democrats and we consider that a good dem club meeting yeah like so, you know, I'm not trying to poo-poo that effort. Yeah. That's principally social. That's not social movement. Yeah. No, you're <laughs> right. We need to bring more energy in our party and into our politics. And we're starting to see that. Uh, kind of to kind of button up our conversation. And it's been yeah. great talking to you today, today, Pam. Yeah, you you're know, amazing. What, what are, you know, <laughs> I wish you were in Congress, quite <laughs> honestly. <laughs> yeah. What, it, but, what can we tell, tell, tell our listeners, like, look, that I mean, one of the takeaways I have is that Fear isn't going to beat Trump, right? Hope no. encourages. And, and, but what can we tell kind of listeners of how we can get out of this fear mindset and, and stop running away from who we are and embrace our liberal values as Democrats and fight for you know, our values instead of caving to Republican you know, propaganda and whims? I'm going to tell you that everything starts and stops with how you think. How do you think? Mm. Right? Because there is no such thing as a battle without fear. Every battle has fear. Every yeah. conflict involves fear. All of them. The question is, do you focus on the fear, the fact that it's there, that right. you are afraid, right? And and that somehow if you don't engage, the fear will go away. Or if you say, look, I've got to engage one way or another. Screw it. Let's go. Yeah. Let's <laughs> you know? go. And you can have that. You know, like you can have that caution to the wind. I'm just going to go full bore and I'm just going to attack that mountain. I'm going to attack that conflict. I'm going to go into that cage. And I'm just going to swing as hard as I can. I don't know. I know I'm going to get punched myself. Yeah. Right. I know that that I'm going to get blowback and I'm going to have a p things that don't go my way and things that go bad. But if you know in yourself that you are 100% committed to finishing this race or finishing this battle or, or completing this task, then you really just don't care what is in the way. You're just going to deal with it and keep it moving. Yeah. Right. Cause that's what it has. That's what it takes. Well, and that's right? what we have to do. I mean, we, right. We, so just deal with whatever the GOP is going to say and keep it moving. Yep. Right. Cause on the, and the, on the other side of fear is, is hope and is faith. And, and, and I'll, the last thing I'll just say is like, when you watch Elizabeth Warren on the campaign trail and you listen to her, it makes it really easy to trust her. And to put, and put faith in her because she knows what she's doing. And like we said, she's empowering people to be better, yeah. to build a better America, mm -hmm. to not settle for the status quo. For too right. long, we've settled for the status quo. Like it's time, shocking, shocking proposition, but it's time for our, our leaders and our Democrats and our elected officials to fight for us, not big money donors. You know, it's right. time for us to get back to the to, to our constitution it doesn't say you know we the billionaires it doesn't say we the republicans it doesn't say we the democrats it says we the people and it's time we get back to people powered politics before we allow the republican party and this corrupt you know president and lawless president to just take over the whole system so the this good is news our is moment this, to fight back yeah and the good news is ryan there are people like you and people um, like you in this in this fight <laughs> 
who are going to be, uh, you know, repeating this mantra over and over again. Bravery yep. is not the absence of fear. Yes. Bravery is the willingness to proceed in the context of fear. Yes. And, and so we need to be brave. We need to be brave, bold, fearless, and situationally aware. Yes. Our opponent is not the neighbor you know. No. That neighbor that you know has been corrupted beyond the point of recognition. Stop worrying about what they think. They have to worry about what we think. Yes. And we are going to win this thing. And we are going to crush them in the process. But the good news is that everything about us is empathy and love, which means that when we crush you, and we will, we will still reach down and pick you back up and brush you off and welcome you back and make things okay for you later. Yes. But first, your vision of selfishness and greed will be destroyed. Yes, we have to. Well, and once we beat them, they'll realize, oh, these democratic policies are actually pretty helpful. Yeah. 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 Because we will wrap a bandage around their crushed skull and with the health care that we get them. Exactly. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Exactly. Yeah. No, right. Well, but we're start, we're, we crush you, not because we hate you. Right. We, we, we crush, crush you because, because we, we love, hate your hate. And we love our country. Yes. And, and what right. you're doing to it is not American. Right. You know, it's not the, the Trump and GOP agenda is a white nationalist agenda. And that's not who we are anymore. And that's not who we can be. You know, no. white supremacy maybe founded this country, but we've come a long way from, 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 our, from when we were founded. And we've moved so far forward. And now we need to keep moving forward. You know, and, and the last thing I'll just say is like, Think of it this way. When your back is up against the wall, you don't back that. And when you're in a crisis, you don't back down from the fight. Now is the exactly. time for Democrats not to be afraid, but to be brave. Like you had just said, we need to be brave. And so and that's what we need to there. leave our listeners with. Like, be brave. Absolutely. Vote for the candidate that you feel is going to change your lives and going to and going to beat these Republicans down because these Republicans don't want to compromise with us. And they're not going to change. Here's the thing. The Republican Party will change. If, but the only way they'll change is if we beat them at the ballot box enough times. And we're not going to beat them by being passive. Nope. Nope. You're 100% right. We started 2018 with 10 million more Democratic votes than Republican votes. In 2020, let's, let's make it 20 million. Amen. And then maybe they'll hear us now. And let's make it 20 million by not compromising, by fighting amen. for our values. We can win the right way. And I think that's how we'll win. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Pam, for joining us today. Pam, you're amazing. That was awesome. Thank you. How can that we? Was so much fun. Uh, yeah. How can people follow you? I am on Twitter all the time at Pam Keith K E I T H F L. Uh, that's for Florida. Mm -hmm. At Pam Keith F L is my Twitter. It's also my Instagram, and on Facebook, I think I'm Pam Keith for Florida. Okay. Um, and I am pretty active on social media. Certainly on Twitter, that's sort of the the platform in which I do most of my uh, work. But um, I also am very much on the ground in Florida. So over the next months, you are going to see uh, more and more um, video and photos and just watching people bring really progressive values into people's day-to-day -day lives, showing why our values make sense and they really help people's lives and and to really build an infrastructure that's not dependent on a candidate or an election cycle. Amazing. Well, we'll look out for that and uh, have a great weekend. And it's really good to talk to you today. Thank you, guys. I so enjoyed it. And uh, have a great time out there in Cali. All right. Thanks.
Pam, talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for another on another episode of Amped Up. Yeah. Uh, if you want to continue the conversation on Twitter, you can use the hashtag Amped Up. Absolutely. And we will ha- uh, see you next week for a brand new episode. And uh, make sure you check out all of the podcasts on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network by going to sexyliberal.com or subscribing to them on your favorite podcast app. Hey, this is Jody Hamilton, host of the podcast From the Bunker. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll love my show where every week Sean Barton, David Schock, and I discuss politics, sports, pop culture, that show on HBO that I don't watch. Find it at sexyliberal.com and on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and everywhere else you get your podcasts.